Okay, welcome to the No CS Degree Show. This is a show for developers that are self-taught or have been to coding boot camps, and it's where I talk to them about how they've become successful in their jobs or how they've made their own startups. I'm joined today by Kenneth Castle, who's a developer working out of Fort Worth, Texas. Kenneth works remotely, has paid off credit card debt, and is now working on Slip, where developers can sell their own courses. So it's really great to have Kenneth on the show today. So how's it going, man? Hey, Pete. It's going great. It's pretty early over here. Yeah, yeah. I should say it's uh, 5 a.m. with you. Yeah, yeah. I usually start my day at 4 a.m., so... Oh my god, that's like, yeah, that's really hardcore. I should say, apart from all your list of achievements, which I've already outlined, you've also got a wife and three kids. So you're putting the rest of us to shame. You're like hardworking guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't do it without her. And my kids are, you know, pretty good for the most part. So, so oh. I think I have a lot of help. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. So, yeah. Why did you start learning to code in the first place? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like, you know, like a lot of people have this like meandering path into tech and I as well did too. Um, so like straight out of high school, I thought I wanted to be a high school band director. So I thought I wanted to like teach music to high school students. Wow. Um, I played music in high school and I had... Uh, no interest in tech at all, zero, zero percent. I wasn't like a person that coded or really even played online games or anything like that. And so I went to school for a couple of years for music education. And then I, I, I found out that field is, uh, it's, it's not the best, like, especially if you like value like your time or like you ever want, if you have like big financial goals. Um, so like the average pay for like a band director in Texas is probably somewhere around 40,000 a year. And you have to get a five-year music degree to get that job. So you're going to spend five years in college and, you know, probably $150,000 in student loan debt to make 40000 a year. And so I did that for two years and I decided I didn't really want to continue down that path. And so I dropped out and I, uh, I had my first son and I started working at a gas station. <laughs> Um, so, so at this gas station, I was like a night clerk. So I like, you know, cleaned the bathrooms and swept the floors and stocked the coolers and like dealt with all the crazy drunk people. <laughs> and I did that for about six months. And then I got into the maintenance department. And so that was like the, the biggest like career that I did before, um, tech was I worked in the trade. So I fixed like electrical equipment, plumbing, air conditioning, I pulled like submersible gas motors out of the ground, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, like pretty much anything and everything that could break at a gas station, like I would fix it. Wow. And I did that for six years. Um, oh my God, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty cool. It was an interesting job. I made pretty good money. I made anywhere between like 50000 and probably close to 80000 a year, depending on how many hours I worked. But I worked holidays. The work was hard. I worked like on the roof in the Texas heat. It's like 110 oh degrees Fahrenheit. Um, <laughs> I'd, I be dead. Like, I'd be yeah, dead right now. <laughs> Tons of hours a week, overnights, holidays, I mean, you name it. Um, so I missed out on a lot of stuff, you know, and I started realizing that it wasn't really the greatest like uh, career for someone that has a family. And I started like looking around for like how I could, um, you know, get into a different career. 
and I was like generally interested in some kind of engineering, but I, I still wasn't even interested in tech. So like, I, I remember one time I looked back in my email inbox and for like a couple years in a row, I was emailing like a different engineering department at like my local university, like asking them for like, Hey, how can I get into electrical engineering or Hey, how can I get back started in mechanical engineering or whatever? And, uh, no one ever replied, which is kind of oh funny. My God. But, uh, That's so horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I just kind of like stumbled into tech by accident. Um, I've always been like a pretty like handy person, like doing stuff with my hands and like building projects and stuff like, you know, like physical things like tables and desks, chairs, shelves, things like that. And I was like browsing uh, Reddit one day and I saw people were building these cool kegerators. Do you know what a kegerator is? Uh, no, I know what a keg is, but yeah, yeah. you can explain. Yeah, so a kegerator is like someone takes like a like a like a refrigerated chest or whatever, like a a, a freezer or chest or or like a or a refrigerator basically, and they uh, stick a keg in it and put a tap on it, and so like you could like you know store a couple kegs in there, oh, and you right, could okay. have like a couple taps or whatever, and people build them like as a do-it-yourself project. Um, but I saw on Reddit people were building some like cool ones with like a Raspberry Pi. Which oh, is wow. like this, yeah, it's like the yeah. small microcomputer, and they were putting like these cool displays that showed like how much beer was left in the keg, and I thought <laughs> like that was like the coolest thing, and uh, so I so I bought a Raspberry Pi, and I decided I was going to build this kegerator, and uh, I didn't know anything about like tech or how to do it. I just figured like you know I'll figure it out, whatever, and so I get the Raspberry Pi, and I start having to learn Python to do the kegerator project. And so I started learning Python and, um, I never did the kegerator project, but I got, uh, I, I definitely got bit by the programming bug. So I get the raspberry Pi, start learning Python. And then I started figuring out like the tech field is actually like, you know, pretty amazing. Like I, I always heard through the grapevine, like it was good, but I thought it was like for other people, you know, like people who were like, super computer nerds and like really good at sure. computers and stuff. And I never really felt that way. Like I, I barely ever use computers and stuff. And so, but after I started learning Python, you know, it, it kind of changed. I started building like these little tiny projects and like I automated some stuff for my dad's business. And ultimately I ended up deciding to go back to college for computer science. And the long story short there is I went for a couple years part-time while I kept working full-time and I dropped out after I got a job. Nice one. So, so you got a job, you got hired as a developer and you didn't need a degree. Yeah. I mean, I, I was like super time constrained because I had a family. I was working like 50 plus hours a week. I was going to school part-time. And so like my ultimate goal was like, how can I like most quickly get a job so I don't have to keep doing this like grind. And so I decided like to start going to like hackathons and I joined like a programming club on campus that was like, you know, met one time a week. So I basically used those to like, like pad my resume and I was able to get a job after going to school, like part-time for two years. I guess like most people would still be like, you know, sophomore level or lower mm. than that, like after two years and, you know, they might be struggling to find an internship, but if, if you have a goal and you can like figure out like ways to get there, I feel like you don't have to go the same speed that other people do. 
Yeah, absolutely. I know a lot of entrepreneurs that say it's actually great having kids because it kind of lights the fire and it's like, okay, I've got a family to provide for. There's a notion in, for some people, I guess, at least in business that it's like, oh no, got to work hard, got to like work for years and then I'll have kids. But kids can actually help you have a sense of hard work as well. Yeah, I, I love that like framing because like a lot of people would think like because I had my first son when I was 20 and so a lot of people would think like that's like probably going to be like a financially like ruining decision and stuff because I'm like young and broke but uh, like you said honestly it gave me something like more to strive for like I I don't know if I would have ever even left that trade job if I didn't have kids because you know it paid pretty good and it had like decent benefits but it just like wasn't ideal for like a family so like I'm you know I'm very grateful that you know, having kids definitely has affected me in that way. So, and I, I've seen other people, you know, kind of mention the same thing, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So in terms of getting the first job, what was the interview process like? Yeah, sure. So I, like I said, I've been going to like these hackathons and, you know, my team won like a couple and I also had like some side projects that I had on my resume because like, you know, as someone who's like super busy and had kids and a job, like I couldn't like say like, oh, you know, I was part of this research lab or, you know, yeah. I, you know, volunteered at this place over the summer or whatever. So I had to find other ways that like kind of fit with my lifestyle. And I think, you know, like depending on your lifestyle, you could probably find like whatever is the best way to like demonstrate your skills. Um, but how I got that job was um, I was looking for like an internship or some kind of a job and I actually landed a interview at Facebook for an internship and so wow. my idea there was that I would go work there for the summer because they pay like really high in the US I think it's something like between 9 and 11 grand a month so like you could work there wow. for a summer and make like almost the same pay like that music teacher would have made for the whole year <laughs> uh, as an intern that's, that's depressing yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> Depressing for so, the band teacher, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, I, I got that interview and I decided that I wanted to, like, get some practice because they do those, like, algorithm-type interviews. And I was part of this, like, local Slack group for developers in my area. And I saw they were hosting a, like, mock interview practice. So I decided to go there. So I went to it and I met this guy, David, and he was the owner. He He's the owner of the company I work at now. Um, but he did a mock interview with me and he offered me a job the next day, but it, it wasn't really a software job. He, he was working on this like IOT project and it was basically like a sensor that told you how much ice was left in the ice chest, like at a gas station. And okay. he really liked my maintenance background and he wanted me to like go install them. And, you know, and I told mm -hmm. him like, you know, I'm like, really more interested in getting to the software side and he's like okay yeah. you know that that's fine whatever so we stay connected i connect with him on linkedin and uh he keeps seeing our like you know hackathon projects because i'm like actively posting and stuff like that and he reaches out and he tells us that he wants to hire our whole hackathon team which wow. we were very skeptical about we were like why does this dude that owns a software company want to hire like a bunch of like college kids for yeah. uh, a, a project but it, it kind of fit because he had a client that um they they wanted to explore like chatbots and like that kind of technology and they didn't really need anyone to like build anything like super crazy they just needed like a bunch of like small proof of concept 
projects. So really kind of like a hackathon team was like the perfect like fit. Um, so we ended up talking to him and he hired four of us. So, um, and, and he hired the other three without ever interviewing them, which was pretty crazy. It was like part-time and I, I kept going to school and I worked part-time for a couple months and then I converted to full-time and I dropped out and I've been there ever since. That's awesome. That's really great, man. I think it's something really important for people that are learning to code to realize that networking can have a really powerful effect on your career. Like I'm still in touch with developers that I met at meetups like I know like five years ago and like became good friends and everything. Lots of people like yourself have found jobs through meetups. Um, so yeah, I guess like obviously when COVID kind of goes away or go, everything goes back to normal a bit more, then yeah, meetups would be a great thing for people to do, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, I definitely agree. I think meetups are pretty awesome and they're like kind of, they're like also also if you think of like the whole like hiring funnel, like you want to like get some place that other people are not so that you stand out. So like submitting your resume online is probably like the lowest effort thing you can do. So I mean, you're competing against like everybody. Whereas like if you like go to meetup and you like have an interesting conversation with like someone who owns the company or like someone who's like a manager or whatever, like your chances of getting seen are like way, way better. So you might have the same skills in like either situation, but you know, getting past that filtering process, like you, you, using your networking can definitely do that. And and then with like the whole COVID thing, I, I actually think like uh, Twitter is like a great place to like replace that. So like you can build in public on Twitter. I've met so many incredible people and have, have had some really cool, interesting people reach out, like asking me to apply for really cool jobs just from building on Twitter. It is something that I see a lot nowadays as well. As you know, we met on Twitter, I think. I, I find it an awesome tool and I think it's really great for people, especially learning to code. It's like a really supportive community. If you're listening to this, like get a Twitter account and start tweeting that you're learning to code. Can you go through any of like the resources that you use to learn Python? Oh man, so it's been a while. So I've been programming for about five years. I've been sure. uh, a software engineer for two years professionally. I think some of the stuff I used early days, I remember watching this YouTube channel from a guy who's actually, I think, pretty local to me. His name is Harrison, but he goes by Centdex on YouTube. He's got like a million subscribers, but I just remember binge watching so many of his videos and like, I didn't know anything about full stack web development and I was following along his Django tutorials and anytime he gets stuck, I would be like a hundred percent stuck because I didn't know <laughs> any yeah. of the stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, that was like one of the biggest ones I started off with. I took a couple of the intro to CS courses. So the Harvard CS 50 is like an intro to computer science course. It's free. It's online and it's it's probably like one of the best intro to computer science courses out there. Like it, would, it does a really good job of like explaining why and giving like a high level overview of, you know, what is programming and things you can do. And it gives you lots of practical practice or like hands-on practice too. So those two, and I don't know if I did free code camp right away or if that was like more like a year in, but I did a good bit of free code camp as well. Nice one. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think there's so many resources just now for people learn to code. Like, I feel really sorry for people that learned like 20 years ago <laughs> before YouTube or anything like that because, or like Udemy courses. Yeah, there's so much online. Just go on YouTube. Some of the favorite people for me are like 
Net Ninja. Do you know that guy? He does. No. Uh, he's the guy from the UK. Like maybe that's why I like him more. But uh, he's yeah. like this really enthusiastic guy who just does like he's done playlists for like so many stuff, every language or framework you could think of, and it's all free. It's all YouTube, so it's awesome. You're earning like six figures now as a developer. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. right now my salary is uh, one hundred and fifteen thousand a year, which is like wow. kind of like double what I was making in the trades. And and honestly, like I work much less hours than I worked in the trades. And I work from home, so I don't even have a commute. So it's like yeah. it's probably like more than two times as good as like my last job. I was working in the trades. I was making probably between like sixty eighty thousand a year. And then I quit for a intern position at my current job, and I was making twenty seven fifty an hour. So I guess that's like fifty thousand a year, roughly. So I took a pay cut, and uh, you know it's kind of risky. No, no one told me I was going to like be able to convert to full time or anything. Like it was just mm -hmm. kind of like a calculated risk. I I figured you know uh, I'll go do this, and if I can't convert to full time, I'll just go find another job. Like whatever. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, taking that leap and I'm sure like lots of listeners and stuff like are feeling that, like, how do I actually like leave my current, like good job? And like, do I have to like move backwards? And, you know, it's kind of scary for sure, but it, it turned out, you know, amazing for me. So I got paid 27.50 an hour for about three months. And then I got a full-time contract position with that company. And so that doubled to 55 an hour, which is like, I guess about like a hundred thousand a year. And then I converted a full-time like employee. So I don't know if, how it is like in the UK, but like in the US, like there's two different employment types. There's contractor and like full-time employee. So full-time employees like have more benefits and that kind of stuff. So it's like, like the, if you make the equivalent pay, like if you're a hundred grand contractor, a hundred grand like employee, the employee is like a much better deal. So I converted employee and then about a year later, I got another raise. So now I'm at 115,000 a year, which is like a fantastic salary. Yeah, like something it'd be good to talk about is the fact that you're making six figures, but you're not in San Francisco or New York where, you know, the rents are all sky high, houses cost a fortune, you know, you're living somewhere that's a lot more affordable and you can also work remotely. You don't have to commute, you don't have to spend like an hour or two going to work every day. So yeah, it's another really awesome reason to get into tech. Yeah, so I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, and it's, you know, pretty reasonably priced. Like we were talking before the podcast, like in San Francisco, like you might get like a place for, like it might be a million dollars to get like what what would be like a house over here for like maybe $150,000. And like if you had that million dollars and you spent it over here, you would get like a, a whole mansion or like a ranch. <laughs> yeah, you, you could know, buy the like block. Tons of acres. <laughs> so, yeah. No, you could like awesome. ride a horse around your property around here with a million dollars. <laughs> like it's it's pretty crazy. I think that should be the next benchmark instead of owning a Tesla. Like riding a horse around your property should be <laughs> that's the benchmark for earning a well, lot of money now. It's, it's funny. I've been seeing some like more like higher profile like Twitter accounts say they're like leaving Twitter to go like start a ranch somewhere or like buy a bunch of land. And I'm like, well, you guys, like, this has been the dream. Like, this is what a lot of people really want. You know, I think that's kind of a goal for us too, is like, we want to buy a little bit of land, nothing too crazy, but just somewhere like further out from the city from where we live. And, 
it's cool because like remote work is enabling that. Before COVID, I was already working remote, but only three days a week. And the other two days a week, I was commuting an hour to work. I work at like a consulting firm. So we like, you know, build custom software for other people. So more of our clients are like remote friendly and we've like started getting like clients out of state and stuff. And so like at this point, like I don't think I'll ever go back into an office at my current job. So that gives us like more freedom to like, okay, well, what if we want to like move further out from like the city and get some land or whatever, which is really cool. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I think like working as a developer takes so many boxes. It's intellectually interesting. It's like high paid, it's in demand and you can do it from anywhere. Like on the NoCS3 website, I actually interviewed someone like one of my favorite stories is a guy who works in Argentina and not like living in the capital. He lives in like a tiny town, but he works for someone like PayPal remotely. His salary went up 84 times. <laughs> <laughs> it's just insane. And just making so like, awesome. yeah, making a six figure salary, but living in a town of 5,000 people in rural Argentina. It's just an amazing asymmetry in your favor. It's awesome. So. You're a busy guy, you've got a full-time job, but be great also to talk about your side projects because they're going really well. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think another thing that I didn't mention earlier that attracted me to software was the ability to build your own business because that's something I've always been extremely interested in. Like as long as I can remember, like my dad has his own business. He's nothing crazy. He's an electrician. So he like goes and fixes people's yeah, lights and sure. that kind of stuff. But it was always cool. Like seeing him have that freedom to like, you know, Oh, I don't want to work for the next three weeks. So let me just like front load some work and I can have almost a whole month off, you know, being your own boss and stuff. And, and I've had my share of terrible bosses, especially in the trades. Like I had some pretty awful bosses there in tech. It's been, you know, pretty awesome actually. So it's not really the boss kind of thing, but, um, yeah, so I'm super interested in like building my own software business and it's something that I've been doing pretty much right from the start when I started learning programming. I start the first thing I did, I mentioned earlier, automated some stuff for my dad's business and then I tried to like productize that unsuccessfully. So I've been doing like the whole indie hacking thing for about four years and this year I've actually started making some decent revenue. So I started the year off with this course called Vim.so and it was basically a interactive course that teaches developers how to learn Vim and I made 10 grand in my first month. That's awesome. It was, it was pretty incredible. <laughs> uh, it was yeah. super unexpected. I think so many people then would have just been like, oh, I'm quitting, quitting my job. But yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. That's really cool. You're doing also this thing slip. Well, you'll be able to explain better, but you've made this interactive Vim course and then you've been mm -hmm. like, oh, I can productize this and let other people sell courses like this. Is that kind of the deal? Yeah, exactly. So like the Vim course, I built and released it in three days, wow. which was pretty fast. But the only reason I was able to do that is because I worked for four months before that on a Python course. And I released that Python course, but I never put up a payment wall or anything. So I just let people get in there and people had some good feedback. And I was kind of, I don't know, maybe bored or tired of it. A lot of indie hackers do that. They'll work on something for months and release it. And they're like, okay, cool. Like, what can I work on next? Like no one paid yeah. me any money, but I didn't even give them a way to pay me money. But <laughs> anyway, I, I saw this guy, Damon Chen. He's another indie hacker. He has a product called Testimonial. And he built that in three days or three or four days by using a bunch of code from his previous projects. 
and he didn't make any money from his previous projects, but he put testimonial up for one time sale and he made something like five grand in the first week. I was like, man, I'm going to like copy that idea. I'm going to spend like a couple days making this Vim thing, but I'm going to make it really easy for people to pay me. Like I'll make it a one-time sale and I'll put it right up. And uh, people did. And that first payment that came through was like super awesome. Like, you know, going in there and seeing my sniff guy there and being like, I just made $8 on the internet. Yeah. And, like, you're all happy. It's, so, it's so great. It's so great. It's hard to explain. I remember the first time I made money on the internet and I was like, people are paying me for this stuff. It's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, the Stripe notifications and the email, mm -hmm. Sarah Richards just sent you $29 or whatever. So yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, um, I mean, that, that was super cool, you know, and then it, it, it kept going. And so I made about 10 grand my first month. Uh, now it makes about $100 a day. That's awesome. I was just going to say, there's so much potential for selling courses for people that are learning, because I think learning to code you know, people know that it's going to help them with their job. So it just makes sense to make products that help people with their jobs and help them, you know, get a better salary and make them better developers. It's something that indie hackers should definitely make products around. I guess my view is like what I try and make products for is for people to either learn or earn or do both at the same time. So yeah, it's really great that you've like tapped into that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think also like the developer market like seems pretty great too. Like the willingness to pay is there. They're used to paying. They're very understanding of like bugs and stuff. It's been a great audience for me because before that I was trying to build software for contractors and it was like pretty bad. Um, but uh, I guess like the whole the slip thing. I released Vim. And then people started asking me for other courses. They're like, hey, can you make a course like this for like X technology? Can you make one for Ruby? Can you make one for like learning different command line uh, commands and stuff? And I initially got super excited. I was like, man, I could just make all these courses and like, you yeah. know, soon I'll be making like, I don't know, 300K a year. And then I had like a better idea, which was like, maybe I could just give other people the power to do this, like the same way that I did. You know, it only took me three days to make this course. Like, how can I like leverage that and give other people that? Cause I think that's the bigger idea. So that's kind of where the idea came from. People kept asking for courses and I decided to give them a tool that lets them do it easily. So that's what slip is. It's like a platform for developers to build and sell interactive courses so they can get on slip and use the authoring tool to build courses around like Python, JavaScript, Ruby. It has in-browser code execution, payment setup, authentication. So it basically like saves developers the four months of work mm -hmm. to set up that whole full stack, like uh, tooling so you can make an interactive course. And it's been pretty cool on that. Like I launched that a week and a half ago and I'm making close to $600 a month already. Yeah, that's awesome. I think just both the products really complement each other. So. The more that people know about Slip, the more they'll probably buy your Vim course and vice versa. Yeah. It seems really smart as well. Instead of being like, oh, okay, I'm going to take a year to make a course for React and Ruby and like everything else. There's loads of people that can make those courses and it's just really efficient to say, okay, I'm going to make a tool for everyone to make courses instead of having to slog out and make the courses yourself. 
Yeah, and the, the people that are making the courses are much smarter than I am, too. I've already <laughs> been looking in there. Yeah. They're, like, courses, you know, I have, like, an admin view where I can see, like, you know, what they're making so far. And, like, the creativity and, like, the content has been, like, pretty incredible so far. There's some people working on some killer stuff. And there's a couple of people that have already released a course. There's, I think, three people have released a course, and all of them have made sales. And one person, Catherine, she released a course on regular expressions. And I think she's close to like $200 in sales already. That's pretty cool. And like, she doesn't have a big audience or anything. Like Mm -hmm. it's just people interested in learning regular expressions kept buying her course. You know, it's already paid for itself for her. So that's really awesome. Nice one. And I guess as well, are you having to do a ton of work on step or can it, is it kind of not so much? It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, no, that's good. It's good. It's yeah, good that people yeah. know that. I, I, yeah. I, I think it has like some serious like legs and potential and like I'm really trying to find a way that I can go full time on it. But I have three kids and a significant other and we touched on this, you know, before the podcast, but like a big thing about the whole Vim course sales was that it helped us pay off some credit card debt faster than we had anticipated. Yeah. So like we've had this plan for two years that my significant other was going to quit her job after two or three years. And so we've been paying all of this debt off so that we could get to a place where with the debt reduction and the pay increases I get, it would be around the same income. Sure. And the VIM courses greatly accelerated that. We thought we'd probably be able to pay off your credit card by the time she quits. So she's quitting like in the end of May. So a couple months. So we thought we'd be able to pay off my credit card, but we actually paid that off like way earlier. And I think now we're actually going to be able to pay off her vehicle. So I think when she quits, like her quality of living is going to go up. Like the total income versus debt and stuff is going to go up versus from when she was working previous to when we paid off all our debt. I think it's incredible. I've interviewed like over a hundred developers now on the NoCS degree website and loads of people have said that they've paid off loans or paid off credit card debt and yeah it's another reason to learn to code because especially in the US it pays so well I guess you can also do lots of work remotely and get paid while working from other countries but yeah it's a lucrative field and it's really awesome that you guys were able to change your financial position really quickly by making this film course yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like we've been so grateful for it and it's been, you know, really cool. But I, I started like telling that story because I want to go full time on slip, but I'd have to make my income basically to go full time. I, I think like I would be comfortable quitting my job if I made like 10 grand a month, which, yeah. you know, it, it's possible. I think maybe like in a year or so, or, you know, I've applied it at a couple different like accelerators and stuff. If I raise some money, then I'd probably quit too. But yeah. Ultimately, that's what I want to do is just like work on my own project and like not have a job. <laughs> yeah, you and me both, man. Uh, did you apply for YC? I did apply for YC, so I'll see what happens there. I think that's, you know, a pretty long shot. I'm just going to keep, you know, grinding away. And I'm sure like if I you know keep putting the effort in, like I'll probably get to a point maybe with slip, maybe with something else yeah. where I can, you know, earn a full time income from things that I created instead of like my time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, if you're speaking to a developer, if they have the option to like sell a course on Podia or Gumroad, what's the main advantage for selling on Slip, for instance? 
Yeah, so I think the difference is that Slip's built like directly for the developer audience. So like Gumroad, like it'd be hard to sell something that's like interactive. So like on Slip, mm. you have a lot of optionality. You can embed videos, images, you can have code execution right in the browser. So if you want to show somebody like if you're teaching someone the intricacies of JavaScript array methods, like it's hard to really get that detail in there if your end user can't like execute the code. And so they're going to have to spin up their own environment and do it. Whereas like in Slip, you just do it right in the browser. And if you get the answer wrong, then you can't go on to the next part. So it, it forces the students to actually interact with the course. And the students themselves have been saying like they really enjoy that format. And then like for Podia, and I've mentioned this a couple times on Twitter, is that I want Slip to kind of be like the Podia for developers. So like mm. Podia is really cool because in, and Gumroad's cool in the way that they help like a developer monetize their own audience. So you're not relying on the distribution of some third party to get paid. Whereas like something like Udemy, like a lot of the distribution for your course will actually come from Udemy, but because it does, they take like a insane amount of the cut. Yeah. So like you spend all this time and then like Udemy can take like more than 50% of your course. So I spoke to one guy, he made like 300 K in sales and on Udemy and he only got like, I think like 70 K or 80 K from it. And so like yeah. Udemy took like most of his money. It's Udemy is ripe for competition or a takeover because it just seems criminal. I've seen some examples where maybe they take 70% of a sale or something and they always discount them as well. So it's always like, you know, a 200 course like air quotes gets like discounted to like $20. To yeah, yeah. 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 And then you make like, I know six of that. So it's just like, it's crazy. Yeah. So that's the problem with like, you know, the whole like course marketplace is that you're like price anchoring against like all the other courses on the platform. And so like right now slip only has like a marketplace. So you can only put a course on like the slip website, but I'm working on, yeah. Uh, like prioritizing like the ability to put a course like on your own website. Cause I think that's kind of where the real value lies is like the ability to make these like in-depth courses that are around like a certain like niche and like, you know, pick your own price and people are buying it because they're buying it from you or like you can like use SEO to drive traffic to your site and like all these other techniques that you couldn't use like on a marketplace. So that, that's coming really soon to slip and I'm pretty excited about that for sure. Best of luck with the future plans of Slip. It sounds awesome. And I think it's really good that you're making progress in the kind of creator economy where, you know, lots of people do want to monetize the knowledge that they have and make a side hustle. And it sounds like a, it's a really good path to carry on down. So where can people find out more about you? Yeah, probably the best place is on Twitter. So I'm at Kenneth Castle and Castle C-A-S-S-E-L pretty active on there. I do like the whole build in public thing. I'll probably overshare or tweet too much. So <laughs> no, it's cool. You can never overshare or tweet too much. Well, that's what I say anyway. I love Twitter. And yeah, the Vim course is Vim.so. Is that right? Yep. That's right. Yep. And slip is slip.so. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show. It's been great to talk to you and great to hear about benefits of learning to code and yeah have a great day man yeah thanks pete appreciate cool. it cheers man bye y'all